0: Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John.
1: And I'm Robin.
0: Together, we research and break down complex and timely topics facing our society and bring our findings to you every week. Our promise to you is to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported, and to try and make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. But our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that, together, we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful, beneficial way.
1: Because of the topics that we cover, some of our episodes might get… heavy. And some of the topics might seem divisive. But we believe that even on these issues, common understanding can be found. And we hope that those of you listening agree. We don't accept that the current state of society is the way that it must be. Together through discussion and on common ground, we can build a better world for ourselves and for future generations. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff.
0: Welcome to our fireside. Before we get started, it is time for an infamous fireside breakdowns we got it wrong moment and by infamous, I mean, I don't think this has ever actually happened before, but I feel like when it happens it's a big deal because I am so invested in this show, and I know Robin is so invested in this show, and getting stuff right means that when we have to do this, it feels like a huge event and By We got it wrong. This time, we didn't really get a fact wrong. We didn't present incorrect information necessarily, as far as we can tell. But we definitely were completely blind to our own bias in a previous episode. Not acknowledging that would be doing a disservice to both our podcasting goals and to you, the listener.
1: The episode in question is session 27, the bare minimum wage. While we certainly stand behind the data that we presented in the show, the overall presentation had a distinct bias that we didn't recognize until it was pointed out to us in a roundabout way. We're not certain about the overall effects that that bias had in our research and our presentation, but after re-listening to the show, it's pretty apparent that we favor adjusting the minimum wage, and we were guided by that bias as we recorded So our apologies on that front. I think we're going to revisit that minimum wage discussion at a future date and we'll definitely take greater pains to get a more comprehensive understanding of the arguments that we don't personally agree with.
0: Now that that's out of the way, folks, people, listeners, lend me your ears. No, we are so excited. Why? Because we're going to talk all about myths. A couple categories of myths, specifically those that are specific to COVID-19, and one more generally, or some more generally, just myths about vaccines.
1: So now when somebody out there asks you to make these topics make sense, you should be a little better armed to do so. This probably won't be our only episode on the matter, because there's just so much to address. But for this one, we're going to start with some of the bigger, most prevalent myths.
0: Right. We're going to we actually drew the line at 5 total myths in this one because
1: <laughs> there are so
0: many I mean, so many we could have we could have easily done like 20 and as i was writing i was thinking like oh well you know this this is part of this myth and that you know we're accepting this thing to be true that's currently the subject of a different myth it's just, ugh, such a pain in order to make this manageable at all we're just we're sticking with the top 5 that we got and then Next time we do this, um, if you if you have something you specifically want us to address in this wheelhouse, please let us know, and we'll we'll yeah. we'll put that in the next episode. So here we go. Buckle up, kids. <laughs> Myth number one: masks can't block COVID. So we're going to talk about this one before we get into the more nefarious, nuanced myths, um, because this one's actually easier. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm not sure if it was the first myth uh, from the COVID era, but it certainly feels like it. It goes something like this. It, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is only 60 to 140 nanometers in diameter. This, this conversion is important. 60 to 140 nanometers is equal to 0.06 to 0.14 microns. All right. However... The N95 mask is only rated to filter down to 0.3 microns. Thus, the gaps in the weave of the N95 mask are so much larger than the COVID virus molecules that the mask doesn't stop anything. <laughs> Conspiracy just to condition the sheeple. And it basically goes on from there. I'm not going to go full crazy.
1: Okay, so let's dissect this because there are a lot of problems with this particular myth. First, it is true that coronavirus molecules are smaller than the gaps in the weave between the individual fibers in the N95 mask. But that's, well, that's basically the only true part here. From that point on, most of the problem lies not with the masks, but with people's basic understanding of how viruses and masks work.
0: In the first place, when we talk or cough, or sneeze, or breathe, we aren't ejecting singular virus particles by themselves. They're always, and I cannot stress this enough, always attached to or encapsulated by something else. Like what, you ask? Well, things like water, or mucus, or other bodily fluids. We excrete, exhale a lot of things. The important thing to know about those exhalations is that whatever you are exhaling, the particles combined, like the individual water molecule with the COVID attached to it or in it, all of those particles are larger on average than one micron. And N95 masks are very, very effective at filtering out things that big.
1: In fact, due to the way that these masks are rated... N95 masks are actually the least effective at filtering out particles at 0.3 microns. That is to say, the particles that have the highest possibility of making it through the fibers of an N95 mask are those in around the 0.3 microns range of size. The efficacy of the N95 mask actually increases as the size of the particles diverge from that very tiny size which makes total sense when the particle gets larger because we can easily understand how large things don't fit through small holes.
0: When we think about masks, we tend to think about them working kind of like a, like a pasta strainer. You pour in a whole mess of pasta and water. Water goes through the holes, pasta doesn't because pasta is bigger than holes. It's easy peasy. But how in the world do these N95 masks get more efficient as the particles get smaller? Remember, that 95% rating, the 95 uh, of N95, means that the masks can block 95% of particles that are 0.3 microns in size. That's the test standard. Um, When they're used correctly, obviously. So, dear friends, allow me to introduce you to our dear friend, physics. The smaller things get, the weirder they act. And at sizes like the ones we are talking about, things are starting to get funky. For one, particles this small don't travel in a straight line. They zigzag around erratically. This is called Brownian motion. Small particles move weird because there are so many small particles in the air. The smaller the particle gets, the more small particles there are, all the way down to the molecular level. So there are smaller particles, there are more smaller particles, the smaller you get, the more smaller particles you have. Does that make sense? (laughs) It's weird. Um, at, At this very small, small level, molecules are constantly bouncing off one another, causing them to move around and bounce and constantly change direction.
1: Imagine the most crowded space you've ever been in, a concert or a theme park or Walmart on Black Friday. And now imagine that you need to get from where you are to a spot 100 feet in front of you, but it's packed, like shoulder to shoulder. How are you going to get to your destination? You can try moving in a straight line, but you will constantly have to sidestep and move to get around people. So even as you move toward your goal, you have to move a little bit away from it or to the side or back or the other way over and over again until you finally get there. That's basically Brownian motion, except small molecules don't have brains to guide them in a direction. They just kind of bounce off of each other like billiard balls and they move in three dimensions. So the crowded Walmart they're in isn't just people shoulder to shoulder, but also standing on top of one another. And they're all trying to get somewhere, and none of them have any brains, and so they're just bouncing off of each other like giant, nightmarish mosh pit of brainless holiday shoppers. So what does this have to do with masks? Well, that motion means that instead of just shooting right through the gaps in a fabric, a molecule is much more likely to get tangled up in the fibers as it careens through the atmosphere and bounces around. For every bit of forward progress that it makes, it's basically four times more likely to move laterally because it bounced off of something. It's actually like infinitely more likely to move laterally, but now we're getting into integrations and calculus and, well, I don't math, so I have no idea how to explain that to you concisely. And when that molecule moves sideways, boom, there's a fiber. Where are you going? Nowhere.
0: On top of that, there's a second factor at play called electrostatic absorption. I'm going to try not to get too deep into the physical properties of molecules here, mainly because I only remember so much of my high school chemistry classes, but suffice it to say, there are lots of forces at play between molecules floating through our atmosphere. These are generally called weak nuclear forces. They are things like dipole-dipole or London dispersion forces, And if you're interested in the physics of chemicals, you should read up on things like Van der Waals forces. It's just neat, nerdy stuff to me. But for our purposes, what you need to understand is that this means that individual molecules act like itty bitty magnets to other molecules. Sometimes they're always magnetic, like a a real magnet, they always have like a positive and a negative. Uh, Pull to them. Sometimes that only happens momentarily and they switch around and, you know, one side's negative and then it's positive and the other side's negative. But just understand that like magnets, that polarity causes the molecules to move towards each other. And like magnets, the closer the molecules are to each other, the stronger the effect of those forces. So, like magnets, when, when they're closer together, they pull at each other, like you can feel them pulling harder at each other. So that's the same thing that happens to molecules. So at very, very small levels, like the ones we're talking about, this can cause the very tiny mucus and water molecule taxis with the COVID inside to get drawn towards the molecules of the much larger mask fibers and trapped. It, it kind of acts like gravity, um interestingly enough it's actually more powerful than gravity but it's such a small thing that it it doesn't matter nerdy science stuff again <laughs> gravity is a very very weak force it's weaker than even this um, so anyway, because of that attraction, because you have one giant thing that has a polarity and one little teeny tiny thing that has a polarity, they kind of get drawn to each other. And because one of them's giant and one of them's small, the smaller thing is the thing that does the moving, and it moves over to these fibers in your mask. Um, that is electrostatic absorption. So these these basically all boil down to probabilities and forces and they're at play for every single layer of a mask that the virus must pass through. Which means that more layers tend to translate to a higher probability of the mask trapping a molecule. Okay, but that's only for N95s. I can hear some random stranger on Facebook yelling at us right now. What about other masks like cotton? Those don't work.
1: Yes and no. Obviously, these masks are not rated to be as effective as an N95 mask. However, they do still function to reduce the chances of you exhaling and sending virus-laden water molecules into the face of somebody in front of you. These layers still act as a physical barrier to the larger particles that you exhale, and will significantly reduce both the number of particles that enter the area in front of you and the distance at which those particles travel. Their fibers still benefit from things like Brownian motion and electrostatic absorption, just not to the same extent as N95 masks. And the more layers those cotton masks have, the more effective they are.
0: Masks are not about creating a completely hermetically sealed and impervious environment. Getting sick is a numbers game, especially with this virus, which spreads so easily and silently. The two-week incubation period means that there's a lot of time that you can be sick and contagious without actually knowing that you're sick and contagious, which is it's a whole mini-myth of its own. So let's put that <laughs> one to bed really quick. Yes, asymptomatic spread is a thing. This really isn't up for debate anymore. For example, nearly 40% of children ages 6 to 13 tested positive for COVID-19, but they were asymptomatic according to research from a Duke University study. While the children had no symptoms of COVID-19, they still had the same viral load of SARS-CoV-2 in their nasal areas, meaning that these asymptomatic children had the same capacity to spread the virus as somebody else who had all of the symptoms, even the worst symptoms of COVID-19. Now, that's only one study, right? But there are... so many other studies, and I really, we don't have time or room to throw them all in here, but trust me, found a lot. Um, there's just so much evidence to show asymptomatic spread is a thing. All right. So just put that to bed if you are still wondering. The point is, the masks simply reduce your chances of accidentally spreading COVID to somebody they reduce the viral load you're exposing any one person to in your interactions if you're sick and if you don't know it. This is important because your body can handle certain amounts of exposure without actually getting sick. Right, like If there's just one COVID molecule that gets into your body, one COVID virus thing, and it gets in and it infects one cell, your body will probably be able to react fast enough to overwhelm that singular virus invader unless you are severely immunocompromised. But if it gets a lot of those coming in at the same time and the replication is happening faster than your body is reacting because it's just not trained to react yet, That's when you run into problems. These thresholds, right? The more virus you're exposed to, the higher your viral load, the more likely you are to get sick, and the more likely you are to get severely sick. So, you, in wearing a mask, are protecting somebody else from getting severely sick by reducing the amount of virus particles that they are exposed to. That's all it is. It's not perfect by any means, it's just a tool to keep, keep the spread down. There's a lot more that we could dive into about masks. But for now, suffice it to say that masks work, and we should all be making a point of wearing them when we're around others, especially when we're around people who have not been vaccinated.
1: You said the magic word, vaccinated. Mm. So I think this is a good time for us to transition into some Vaccine myths here.
0: Oh, I can't wait.
1: Yes, Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is actually kind of foundational for everything we're getting ready to talk about, um, because the first myth is that COVID shots are not actually vaccines. Um, This was posed to me when I was asking, you know, what what things people had heard, and somebody shared this with me, and they said, "Well, the COVID shot isn't actually a vaccine. It doesn't meet the definition, the CDC definition of a vaccine, and so it doesn't count." Um, Hmm. And as I I was like, that's ridiculous. So I looked it up and it's actually, this is actually a pretty pervasive myth, Um, probably because it ties back to a reliable source. Um, And here's what, Hmm. what we mean by that. So there is an accessible page on the CDC website called the basics of vaccines. It says vaccines can contain the same germs that cause disease. For example, measles vaccine contains measles virus, but they have either been killed or weakened to the point that they don't make you sick. Some vaccines contain only a part of the disease germ. A vaccine stimulates your immune system to produce antibodies exactly like it would if you were exposed to the disease. After getting vaccinated, you develop immunity to that disease without having to get the disease first. Okay, so that's their definition. And based on what we know of the current COVID vaccines, they don't exactly fit that definition. So case closed, right? No, you know us better than that, and we wouldn't be talking about this if it was that simple. The problem with this myth is that the page that we just referenced was last reviewed in March of 2012. It's nine years old. And our explanations of, and the technology for, vaccines has changed a lot in those nine years.
0: Just goes to show you the importance of making sure you are using recent sources in your research. Exactly. Things change. A CDC article dated from 2018 defines a vaccine a little differently. It's a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease. And according to that definition, the COVID vaccines definitely meet the very vague criteria that's laid out there. In fact, we have to look to an even newer CDC article to determine where the COVID vaccines fit into the spectrum of inoculations. The COVID vaccines many people around the world are receiving are a brand new type of immunization technique called an mRNA vaccine, which basically We'll get, it, we'll get more into it later, a little more in depth, but it teaches our own cells to replicate a protein, which then activates our immune system cells to respond to it. This is the first time an mRNA vaccine has been approved for use. So it makes sense that there are misunderstandings about why it qualifies as a vaccine in the way that many people traditionally understand vaccines to function.
1: Right, but that misunderstanding highlights a really significant issue with how people react to science especially during this pandemic. So many people are used to a, a static sort of science. We've spent so long reinforcing the idea that science is how we discover truth and portraying scientific reports and studies as the final word, that we've, we've built this culture that has forgotten the whole scientific method, basically, and how it works. Right. We've discarded the hypothesis and experiment parts of the process, and we expect scientists to give us the right answer the first time, We expect all scientists to agree with that first answer, and then we expect that that answer has to be the right answer for the rest of time. The definition of a vaccine isn't set in stone. It grows and it changes with the technology and the information that we have available. And that's really what we should expect from science.
0: Exactly. Anybody who, who, quote unquote, practices science for their living, right? Any true scientist will tell you that, the, that, that good science beats bad science every day. That's how we mm-hmm. develop science, right? Somebody comes up with a theory based on the information that they have. And as we discover more information, that theory is either supported or not supported. And if it's not supported, you change the theory. And that's okay. That's fine. That's great. That means it's working. We are discovering more based on the experiments that we are doing. And in science, it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. Which is like a huge cultural difference because I think in our private lives and in our culture, it is not okay to be wrong. We never want to admit when we are wrong. Science doesn't care. Science wants to find the truth as far as we can determine it with hard facts that are replicatable and we can experiment with. So yes, science-based stuff is going to change all the time. It's why the guidelines for what we can safely do during the pandemic always change. Mm-hmm. Just, com- just like what we could do a year ago was completely different. The guidance was completely different than what we could do now. And the reason is because they basically... They didn't have all of the information. So you set out the best guidelines that you, you have based on previous viruses, based on previous experience, based on what we do know about this virus. And it, would, it was overbroad. And that's okay because it, mean, it means we are taking extra precaution to not kill people unnecessarily. Right. Or at least that was the goal. personal feelings about the people who poo-pooed that guidance from the beginning yes, and how they put their own personal comfort and ego over the lives of others. But we're not going to talk about that right now.
1: We're not because we're talking about vaccine myths and we're definitely, definitely not talking about how people feel like the only appropriate reaction is the one that just barely scrapes us through by the skin of our teeth.
0: Right, definitely yeah. mm-hmm. definitely not talking about that and how they develop some sort of cold calculus about people with underlying medical conditions not being as worthy of living as people who are completely, quote-unquote, healthy. Yeah, We're not going to talk about that. No. We're going to talk about how the d- vaccine disrupts reproductive health next. Myth number three, that's what we're going to talk about.
1: Yes, okay, so this one's kind of an amalgamation because uh, we... We heard so many overlapping myths about the vaccines and what they do to reproductive health that we actually weren't able to break them out into distinct concepts. Um, So we're kind of tackling them simultaneously here. Um, Many people are reporting anecdotally, and here's where we interject and say that there is a very significant difference between an anecdote, a story of a thing that happened to me or that I experienced, um versus an actually scientifically or research backed claim or event
0: right yeah
1: um anybody can say anything happened to them and it's completely subjective and 100% based on their experience and perception of the event um not that we're not it, discounting anybody's experience
0: right. but it could actually have it could have happened exactly the way they fa- like exactly the way they say it happened but that doesn't mean that's how it always happens. That doesn't mean that's the right. normal way things happen. It's just a one data point does not a good data set make.
1: Exactly. Sorry. I know. I know. We just, we just have to reinforce so many things tonight. Um, so many, many people are reporting anecdotally that they are experiencing adverse effects to their reproductive health after receiving the vaccine or even being around people who have received the vaccine. Like being in the same grocery store line in one of the social media posts that I read.
0: Um, It's that 5G. It's that 5G. I promised I wouldn't do it. Dang it. (laughs) You did it.
1: And these these reports run the gamut from everything from more intense menstrual cramps to miscarriages. And most of these anecdotes are posted and shared on social media. Uh, But there are online blog sites that are serving as repeaters and in some cases generators of these stories as well.
0: I want, sorry, I shared this picture with you and I have to put it in Please. here because it was so Please. just bat guano crazy. But we found a guy who swears up and down that the COVID vaccine is causing post-menopausal, I guess, menopausal women to restart their periods, right? So... If you get the vaccine, you're going to suddenly start ovulating again, which is
1: not a thing, guys. So crazy to me. That's not how
0: any of that works. But not but not even that. It goes it's better than that. He at one point says that entire uteruses are dislodging and falling out.
1: I died. I lost it at that one. Like head in my hands laughing. Cause clearly, this dude does not have a uterus. Like, it doesn't oh. work <laughs> like that. This is not how it works. This <laughs> <laughs> is not how it works. <laughs>
0: Just plops right out.
1: Right out.
0: <laughs> we laugh, but like it, it. It's only funny because it is so detached from biology, right? And we want to make it very clear that we're laughing at the idea. We are not laughing at the people who think that because it is easy for people to to not understand something well enough to know how it's wrong. Right. Right? Everybody has different experiences and sometimes those experiences are very, very, very limited in certain areas. So I have more than anything, like... Pity, pity is the wrong word. People hate pity. I, I just, I feel bad for the people who believe these things because, not because they're stupid, they, they might be intelligent, but because they, they just their life experience and education hasn't prepared them to address claims like this with any sort of credulity right. or incredulity, incredulity. So they end up believing these wild things that make kind of reflect poorly on them as a person. But we are not laughing at the people. And if you feel like we are attacking you personally listening to this, that is not the case whatsoever. The myths deserve a little bit of ridicule because they're crazy. The people in this are not our target and never have been our target.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, if, especially when a lot of these myths come from a place of fear, like we're, we're not, we are not laughing at people who feel afraid. We, yeah. We're we're not laughing at you because you feel afraid. Uh, we hope to actually reassure you and help you feel less afraid by giving you the information and the actual research that can help you discern whether or not you should have fears. Right. Um and and especially when we're talking about reproductive health and fertility, that's really scary for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Um it's natural to 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 see these things, see these claims, and be like, "Wow, that's way too risky." Yeah, that's just way too risky for me. Exactly. Totally understand that,
1: um, which is why it makes me so frustrated when these irresponsible sources capitalize on that fear uh, for the basically for their own their own benefit. One of the strongest myths that we encountered actually stated that the rate of miscarriage among women in the United Kingdom who received the vaccine increased by over 475 percent over the course of seven weeks. Um, This story was originated and perpetuated by a site called the Daily Expose, which is, you know, a totally trustworthy and reliable name, which posted a breaking news report on March 21st that said, we're both saddened and shocked to bring you the latest update on the number of unborn and newborn children to lose their lives as a result of the mothers receiving one of the COVID-19 vaccines in the United Kingdom. Just six weeks separate the first and seventh report, and the shocking increase in the number of women losing their unborn and newborn children in that time due to either having the Pfizer or the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine is appalling. The article then goes on to show screenshots of January 28 reports from the United Kingdom's Medicine and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHRA, that show uh, four reported spontaneous abortions after the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and two after the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then next, it shows screenshots from the same two companies indicating a total across both of 28 reports of miscarriage and one stillbirth. Um, And on its face, this article looks like a shocker. That's a very significant increase in pregnancy losses. However, However, we have to push past that fear, and we have to look a little bit deeper. And when we do, we see that there are several factors that this article ignores that are absolutely essential to understanding what might actually be happening here.
0: So first, we have to take into account that in the UK, around one in four recorded pregnancies end in miscarriage. That means of all the pregnant women who received a vaccine inside of that time frame it is likely and not just likely but like statistically probable that a quarter of them will experience a pregnancy loss and as the number of vaccinated women increases the number of vaccinated women who experience pregnancy loss will also increase according to a representative From the MHRA, there is no pattern to suggest an elevated risk of miscarriage related to exposure to the COVID 19 vaccines in pregnancy. The numbers of people, this is a quote, the numbers of people who have received a first dose COVID 19 vaccination increased from 1,340,043 to 4,322,799 sorry 791 for the same time frame that these miscarriages were reported in at least half of these would be expected to be women so the number of women of childbearing age taking the vaccine is estimated to have increased from 665424 to 2,146,866 for the same time frame, That is a massive, massive increase in the number of people who are both getting the vaccine and potentially pregnant. It sounds cold and cruel to say it out loud, we understand that, but those numbers are pretty consistent with what researchers would expect to see regarding pregnancy loss in population groups of that size, regardless of the vaccine.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard. Pregnancy loss is never easy to talk about, especially because such a significant number of pregnancies end that way. Um, it always feels cold and cruel and detached to talk about. Um, but one, if, if these losses were related to the vaccine... Or caused by the vaccine, I shouldn't say related to, but if they were caused by the vaccine, you would expect to see those numbers be significantly higher than what was reported, um, simply because more people would be losing their pregnancies than is usual. Um, But this kind of reinforces that. Those low numbers reinforce that idea that that every experience is not necessarily a research-backed event. Um. Okay. Secondly, I mean, we have to talk about the fact that a report of an adverse reaction is not evidence of an adverse reaction. It just means that the person that's reporting the reaction believes that might have been caused by the vaccine. Those reports still have to be investigated and they're still validated by actual data. And oftentimes, an undiagnosed illness or an underlying condition is found to be the significant causative factor in that reaction. Unfortunately, in the case of pregnancy loss, so little is known about the causative factors that it can be nearly impossible to determine whether or not a vaccination served as the catalyst. There's just no way that we can know if those 28 women can actually attribute the loss of their pregnancy to something having to do with the vaccine, whether it's a a reaction that was triggered by an underlying condition that they didn't know that they had, whether it was a direct cause. Um, we can never know, probably, whether or not that's the case in those situations. And, and articles like this don't ever take that into account. They don't take the unsurety into account because, uh, because unsurety doesn't sell. It doesn't
0: sell. sell. Yeah. <laughs> Gray areas don't sell. Yeah. That's why we aren't millionaires with this podcast yet, clearly.
1: Right? One of these days we're going to monetize the middle...
0: You know it. It's
1: going to be my catchphrase. But this conversation actually leads us very neatly into the next myth, uh, which does claim to be able to explain why the COVID vaccines uh, would cause pregnancy loss and even ongoing infertility. So while the United Kingdom was still in the testing phases for the vaccines, a now infamous letter was written by two doctors insisting that testing be halted. Uh, They erroneously claimed that the vaccines contained a spike protein called syncytin-1 that is essential to the healthy formation of placental tissue in pregnant women. And let's not get that wrong. That protein is absolutely essential. Destruction of that protein would lead to ongoing infertility or even miscarriage. But the claim that the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines either can contain syncytin-1 or a message to generate antibodies to it, uh, which is what that letter claimed, is completely false the protein that's created and targeted by the current mRNA vaccines only shares a sequence of about four amino acids with syncytin-1 out of 538. There are 538 amino acids. um, And in order, science, in order for your immune cells to attack uh, a protein, it's got to match up enough of those amino acids in the right sequence. Um, it's like when you're playing Bejeweled, you got to line up the right ones for them to disappear. Um, wow. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to unscience it. I'm trying to make no, it... No,
0: you, you, you're right, though. You're right. It's It has to... You're exactly right. The pattern has to the match. The pattern enough to match. of the pattern has to yeah.
1: match. Um, and so there is not enough of the pattern that matches between Syncytin-1 and the protein spike that these vaccines are causing your body to create and then attack. Yeah. Um, and there, there was one of the concerns is that it would cause ongoing autoimmunity problems. So essentially by getting vaccinated with one of these, um, these inoculations, you would start producing and attacking a protein that looked enough like syncytin-1 that on, in, on an ongoing basis you would be unable to uh, produce healthy placental tissue and it would cause lasting infertility. Um, but according to the British Fertility Society, which actually had to issue some guidance on the subject because this rumor got so popular. Um, There is absolutely no evidence and no theoretical reason. And that's important because it's not just no evidence, but like we can't think of a scientific theoretical reason that any of the vaccines could affect the fertility of women or men. And that's a direct quote from them. It's just mistaken science and mistaken science or even blatant misunderstanding of how the different systems of how the human body work is to blame for the idea that the COVID vaccine would have any impact on the reproductive health of someone who is not vaccinated themselves. We're going to dovetail into yet another stacked rumor here. Um, and that is the idea that, that one's fertility or reproductive health could be affected by simply being in the presence of someone who is vaccinated. Um But in order to talk about this, we have to remember, again, these vaccines don't actually contain any virus particles, none at all. There's no virus in these mRNA vaccines, which is um, the Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca are the ones that we are talking about in that case. Uh, They teach your body to make and destroy that same protein spike as the COVID virus uses, but that process never actually leaves your cell. Once the protein spike is manufactured, the mRNA that gave the instructions to make it is degraded and useless, and nothing ever happens outside of that cell.
0: So scientists and health professionals agree. There's no scientifically reasonable mechanism by which the COVID vaccines could have any actual effect on anyone who is not personally vaccinated. You, you can't exhale... Vaccine, Or or anything. It doesn't emanate from you. Microbiologist and professor of molecular genetics, Carolyn Coyne, said in a fact-checked article by USA Today, there is no sort of mechanism that would even exist that would suggest in any way a vaccine could be transferred or lead to a sequence of events that would alter pregnancy or a menstrual cycle.
1: Like the science just isn't there. There is not a process by which that can happen. Yeah.
0: No, nope. there's no no avenue for that. It
1: just don't don't work.
0: So I'm going to tee up Robin for myth four because she can. She's going to tackle this one by herself. <sighs> um, but this is actually a myth that is pretty pervasive about vaccines in general. Yes, not just the coronavirus vaccine, but like just vaccines and. You've probably heard of it, but it's this idea. Myth number four is the idea that the COVID vaccine or COVID vaccines or generally vaccines contain cells from aborted fetuses.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. And this is another one where, where a good majority of the people who are interacting with this myth just don't have the basis of scientific understanding to understand why it doesn't make sense. Um, So, again, that's what we're that's what we're hoping to give you here, Um, because I know that before I started researching this myself, when my kids were getting vaccinated, I had no idea how this stuff worked. Um, So it's okay to not know. But now we have the opportunity to learn. Yeah. So the myth that I heard actually specified a white male fetus that these covid vaccines contain genetic material from um, or I'm sorry, it's cells from, not even genetic material, cells from. And that just can't be, you know, that can't be confirmed at all. Uh, but <laughs> but the, this whole idea that that these vaccines contain cells from aborted fetuses is not, it's not true. But in order to explain, or in order to to help you understand why it's not true, we have to explain something called fetal cell lines. So a long, long time ago, almost 60 years ago now, a woman in Sweden had an elective abortion at 12 weeks. Uh, but instead of disposing of the fetus in any of the typical ways, that tissue was sent to the Karolinska Institute in, in Stockholm. And then a small portion of that tissue was then sent on to a scientist named Leonard Hayflick. Leonard Hayflick is famous because he is the scientist that discovered that human cells can only divide a finite number of times before they die. And so he had just discovered this and he was in search of new and effective ways in which scientists could grow cells in a laboratory for research, for vaccine production and other important science things that they do with cells. So the Karolinska Institute sent him some of these cells and he took them. And gave them everything that they would possibly need to grow, put them in a a petri dish, and he waited. And then soon he had a wall-to-wall dish of human cells that he could work with. Um, He separated some of those cells off, repeated the process, and thus began developing a fetal cell line that is now called WI38. Cells from that line have been sent to laboratories all over the world and reproduced for thousands of generations, this is what they do they get a few cells they grow them they separate some out they grow more cells they separate some out they grow more cells um, so this has been done for thousands of cellular generations which is
0: it's it's kind of like i can't believe i'm saying this you, it's kind of like sour I knew
1: you were going to say that i knew it i knew it no worries it is. no worries we're just we're we're just comparing you know human cellular research to sourdough starters,
0: <laughs> to some sourdough starter,
1: but you're that's not wrong. You're not wrong. My brain first went to Amish friendship bread, but
0: that's I was going to say that, but I didn't know how many people knew about Amish friendship right. bread. So sourdough, yeah,
1: it's exactly, and and that's the that's the whole idea, and that's how you can have sourdough starters that are hundreds of years old, um, using the same the same yeast lines. We have cellular lines that are thousands of replications removed from the original fetal cells that they began with. Um, And these cells have been used to research and develop world-changing vaccines for polio and measles and rubella and hepatitis A. And yes, that process has been repeated with other cell groupings from other fetuses and used for the same purposes. Um, When it comes to vaccines, these cell lines are used in three different ways. The first way is in the development of the vaccine properties, identifying what, what works. The second is in confirmation of the vaccine, basically making sure that it works, testing it. And then in production, which is actually growing the vaccine things, growing the different virus proteins or mRNA strands or other things like that that, uh, that actually work in the vaccine. So the, uh, the mRNA COVID vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna in the United States, only use these fetal cell lines in the confirmation part of their process. They only used it in that testing process to make sure that what they thought worked originally actually did work. So if you got Pfizer and Moderna, that's the only part of the process that they were used in. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine isn't technically considered an mRNA vaccine. It uses um, a different method of vaccine delivery called viral vector which you can google it's really cool Um, and as a part of their process they utilized these fetal cell lines in all of the phases of the process to identify what works to test it and make sure it works and then to grow and produce the actual vaccine components Um, but the one thing that we do really 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 want to communicate is that at the end of the day none of these fetal cell lines, none of this actual tissue gets included in the final product. None of it. None of the vaccines injected into your body contain any fetal tissue. Not from recently aborted fetuses, not from cell lines that are thousands of generations old. None of it. It's only a part of those three phases of production.
0: I understand, though, why people would be upset, maybe, about learning about that. Right? Um, Abortion is one of those those topics. It's just so inherently personal, yes. and everybody has very strong feelings mm-hmm. about it. I think the way I think about it is, we don't know one why the baby was aborted to begin with. It doesn't particularly matter, right? But we tend to hear the word abortion and, and make a value judgment about that. Um, but so many fetuses that are wanted are aborted because they're not going, not going to live.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these manufacturers aren't going out to women and saying, "Hey, uh, kill your baby so we can get some cells." No, right? So this doesn't drive some sort of marketplace for it. Nobody's going out and paying women to, to abort their babies. No,
1: um, I've, I think the, the most recent fetal cell line that I could find in any relation to any vaccine production at all is more than 30 years old.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I, I feel like there was actually some regulation put on fetal cell lines at some point, yes. which is why. They're thirty yes. years
1: old. Now. there, there is in the United States. There is and um, there are heavy regulations on how they can be acquired, how they can be used, um, all of that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So, yes, it is. It, it, at some point, these cell lines probably started with an abortion. I say probably because we have ways now to manufacture specific types of cells that don't require yes starter cells from, from stem cells or from uh, fetal tissue anymore. So not all of these lines m- have to come from an aborted fetus. I'm just not sure if they have cultivated any from this other tech yet. Um, but... I think, on balance, and if we're going to be calculating in cold, the good that that has done for the world is incredible and massive. And I bet you, just about everybody listening to this has probably benefited directly yes. from that research. Yes. If not directly, then almost, then definitely indirectly, um, in one way or another, that has that has shaped or changed your life, and you don't even know it. Correct. Um, I was going to do a transition. It would have been a little off, off key, I think. Probably not appropriate. So I'm just going to start into myth five. Well, hold on. Do you want me to introduce
1: uh, this one for you? Because I haven't introduced oh, sure. any of the
0: myths yet. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Yes, Robin. Introduce you're, a myth. You're a really good
1: up. narrator, so it's fine. No, but uh, I, think, I think that John got really excited about presenting this myth to you guys he definitely was typing like the gif of the cat at the keyboard uh, when we were researching this one so here you go (laughs) myth five the vaccine is going to change your dna
0: this one is one of my favorites these newfangled mrna vaccines are going to get into your blood and edit your dna the the reasons for this are all nefarious and they're, they're just all over the map, right? Some people think it's going to cause cancer. Some people think it's to make us infertile for population control. Um, <laughs> some people think it's for like mind control oh and to mind. turn us into docile and, and malleable masses. It's great. It's It is like... Mm, primo, grade A conspiracy theory, and I love it. Now, I understand where it comes from. This is actually not a like, it's not a stupid thing to believe this, right? Again, the the end result of the conspiracy theory part of it is what I'm laughing at. The people who believe it, I 100% understand how they got to this point. Um, but I'm gonna address that. And it goes back to something that's actually really, really cool. It's why I'm excited about this. We have a new vaccine technology. Now, it, that doesn't hit as hard at this part of the podcast because we've been talking about <laughs> it for 50 minutes that's at true. this point. True. But we have a new vaccine technology, guys. This is awesome. It, we mm, ha, We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this mRNA technology because you gotta understand it so you can understand how cool it is, right? So duh, these new, new vaccines, they're called mRNA vaccines. We've said it a bunch. I've said it like seven times in the past 30 seconds. What it stands for is messenger RNA, which is ribonucleic acid, but nobody needs to know that. This new style of vaccine has the potential to literally change the world over and over and over again. Like, we've we've already actually seen it once with the coronavirus vaccine. I think people don't understand how earth-shatteringly cool the development of this vaccine is. How fast it happened is actually an amazing miracle, not something to be afraid of. I understand why people don't trust it, again, but it's really cool. And it is just the tip of an iceberg. And it is a huge iceberg. Like... These vaccines hold almost unlimited possibility. Literally, literally. The technology could be used to treat diseases like cystic fibrosis and cancer and HIV. And the possibilities don't stop with treating these quote-unquote simple illnesses. Some scientists think that messenger RNA therapeutics could reverse aging. And the ideas behind using mRNA to treat humans isn't a new one. In fact, mRNA was first described in the 1960s. Now, study to use mRNA to elicit specific controlled responses in the human body began a few decades later, but that was still the early 1990s. This is one of the reasons that producing the COVID-19 vaccine happened so fast. The foundation to make it happen has been under construction for almost three decades now. The pandemic just provided an incredible and horrible opportunity for the technology to shine. But with new technology comes incomplete understandings of how that technology works. Which, looking at you, 5G, (laughs) and nuclear energy, and solar energy, and wind energy, basically a lot of misunderstandings about energy production in general, but I digress. A lot of people, smart, well-intentioned, good people, have heard an incomplete story about how mRNA vaccines work and it has caused a considerable amount of fear around them. So let's get it straight, once and for all.
1: mRNA does nothing to your DNA. Nothing about the DNA of the vaccine recipient's body changes whatsoever. The actual explanation for what happens when you're injected with an mRNA vaccine is actually way cooler. So... I think that just about everybody understands how vaccines work by introducing a relatively harmless version of the illness to be treated into the body in order to allow your body to train to fight off that, in- that illness. Sometimes that's a dead virus or a denatured virus or it's just part of a virus. And the body looks at this horrible, threatening thing and then deploys the troops to destroy it. And then those troops, having successfully vanquished their foe, spread the information to the other troops about how to defeat that foe should they ever encounter it again. Your body is like a well-oiled military machine. Or, like I used to explain it to my kids, Power Rangers.
0: Go Power Rangers.
1: But this process has limitations. Sometimes there's no way to produce a safe version of a virus. Sometimes your body doesn't react to a partial pathogen the way that it should, so there isn't an immune response. It's why we don't have a vaccine for HIV yet. That virus just doesn't lend itself to other methods of vaccine production. Enter mRNA. Unlike previous vaccines, the mRNA itself isn't actually a virus or bacteria. In fact, to your body, it doesn't look like much of anything. I mean, it may be a little bit shifty, but it's okay. It's nothing worth calling out the troops to attack, just a messenger, carry on. And then this little messenger goes into your cell and transmits instructions to your cell. And we're not going to get into the nitty gritty, but basically your cells have the capacity to operate as little manufacturing plants for whatever they're told that the body needs to produce. So the mRNA messenger gives the cell its new orders. And in this case, it tells the cell to start producing something called a spike protein, well, the spike protein, the infamous spike protein from the coronavirus. (laughs) And your little cell manufacturing plant, which is ever-dutiful, goes, okie-dokie, coming right up. And it begins to manufacture these spike proteins. These spikes are what the coronavirus uses to attach itself to your cells and then deliver its own instructions to the manufacturing plant in there, which is how it replicates.
0: Yeah, in fact, mRNA vaccines and viruses operate in essentially the same way. Like viruses tell your cells to produce more viruses. And the little manufacturing plant goes, okie dokie, coming right up, right? And starts producing more viruses. Eventually the cell actually gets so full of new viruses that it ruptures and it spews new viruses to all of your surrounding cells, and then they latch onto that and implant instructions into those cells to make more viruses, which then burst and spread more virus and so on and so forth until you feel completely horrible as your immune system works to kill the invaders. The mRNA vaccine basically does the same thing. But instead of causing you to get truly ill, it basically causes your cells to kind of grow a harmless part of the coronavirus like your cells like they develop a spike protein they display it on their cell wall from what i understand and then the immune system turns around it's like holy crap that's a virus and it attacks it remember our cells aren't actually like intelligent they're they're little biological machines. They just kind of react to what they're built to react to. So they can't really differentiate between a true virus like the coronavirus and your normal cell that has suddenly grown a spike protein appendage. It doesn't do anything. Like your cell can't use that spike protein to attach to another cell and tell that cell to produce more cells I don't think, yeah, no, can't do that. Um, but, but it does still grow a spike protein, right? So your body goes, crap. ah, crap, gets it. And then because it has basically trained on how to deal with these spike proteins, it, it, it kind of goes, all right, I know how to deal with these spike proteins. I'm going to tell all of my little antivirus, uh, white blood cell buddies, hey, this is how you defeat these spike proteins. And then everybody, all the troops, get the information and they're like, all right, Roger Dodger, no problem. Gonna kill spike proteins whenever I see them. So then, when a real coronavirus enters the body, your immune system doesn't, it's not like, oh crap, that's a coronavirus. It's again, they're not intelligent, but it sure recognizes the big bad spike protein. And it says, holy crap, spike proteins. We saw that before, get them. And it attacks it. And hey, presto, the spike proteins can no longer attach to your cell because they're either covered up with, you know, white blood cells that are blocking it or they're destroyed. And that means that the coronavirus can't latch on to another cell in your body, a healthy cell, and deliver those instructions to the little manufacturing plant in there to cause it to make more viruses. Meaning the virus can't replicate, meaning you don't get infected. Boom. Successful immunization. God, it's so cool, guys. I like I can't get over how cool it is. It just is. So importantly, at no point in this step does the vaccine enter the nucleus of your cell. Now, people who took biology will remember that the nucleus is the part of your cell that actually carries DNA. Everything else, all the other parts of the cell, not DNA. Nope. None of it. The mRNA never goes to your nucleus. It never goes to that part of your cell meaning that it never has the opportunity to edit your DNA in any way. All it does, all it does is train your cell to make a harmless bit of the virus called the spike protein and hang it outside for everybody to see. That's it, no gene splicing need apply. The only place that any kind of editing happens is well before the vaccine enters your body. The mRNA technology used to develop these vaccines is highly flexible. That's why it's so exciting. Because I am not joking when I say a new vaccine can be developed in a matter of days. As soon as you know the the, the, the genetic code basically of the virus, right, you can program a new mRNA vaccine for it even the coronavirus like all told to develop the max vaccine using this technology when they had that sequenced um, coronavirus genome basically it only took like I think it was like three to six days somewhere in there for the proof of concept mm-hmm. and the like hey this works here's how we're going to do it it's done because again this technology has been being worked on it's been under construction since the early 90s And it's just like, this is the perfect application. This is exactly what it was built for. And so, boom, they did it. All the time after that was trials, was testing, was making sure it worked so that we could use it. So even on the super fast timeline that this was produced on, it got tested rigorously. And even for emergency use authorization, a significant portion of phase three trial data has to be available to make the emergency use authorization happen, right? It cannot happen without that phase three trial. So we have data. We have a lot of data from phase three trials that lets us know this is safe. This is okay. We can put it in our bodies. It's okay to use. So I, it's just so cool, guys. It's so cool. It's, so, it's cool. so cool. I can't get over how stinking cool this is. It could and will it will absolutely change the world
1: yeah i'm really excited about the incredible possibilities of this kind of technology um i yeah i also do want to acknowledge that again we asked for and were given so many myths that we could not address this evening everything from um the moderna vaccine containing something called a luciferase Enzyme, uh, which if you know Bible histories or have watched Cinderella, um, you know that the name Lucifer is one of the names given for Satan in the Bible. And there is an enzyme out there called luciferase. However, if you know words, you also know that the prefix L-U-C or L-U-Z also refers to light making. Um, Luciferase is an enzyme that is produced in the butts of lightning bugs and bioluminescent sea creatures. That uh, is what causes them to light up. Um, And luciferase was used in the research and development of the Moderna vaccine to light up and track the path through which uh, the vaccines (laughs) functioned. Um, It was so cool, too, though. They made a mouse glow. It was awesome. But, like, Google it. Yeah. Google that stuff. Um, but just a bit of a misnomer there. No, no Satans, yeah. well, no actual Satans were used in the production of the Moderna yeah. vaccine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, just understand. Just understand. The term Lucifer, it was used for Satan because in the Bible, one of his names was Lightbringer. Yes. So, like the Latin phrase Luke's and Lucifer and all of those roots existed yeah. already. Like the devil didn't make that right. happen. It was the word that they had for that translation to make it happen right. to begin with. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. So we didn't get to
1: cover that. We didn't get to cover the idea that the uh, that the chip in the vaccine is going to suddenly fire in about twenty five years and kill fifty percent or. of all the people who got the vaccine, if there was a myth that we did not cover, that you are so angry that we did not get a chance to cover, we would love to hear from you. Just tell us all about it. You can tell us all about it on the social media. If you search Fireside Breakdowns on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you will find us. You can tell us about it in an email. You can email us at firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com and write us just the longest research-filled letter full of cited sources telling us why we got one of these myths wrong or all about a myth you'd like us to cover. And this is like the holy grail of letting us know, especially if you loved our breakdown of these myths, Mm -hmm. you could leave Mm -hmm. us a review. There is a handy, handy link in the bio of all of our social media profiles Also in the episode description for this episode, you can leave us a review on the platform that you use should it allow reviews simply by clicking that link. It's very easy and it would mean the absolute world to us if you guys would tell us how you're feeling about our show. It helps us know what you're thinking. It helps other people find you and it helps the platforms that we're on know that this is a podcast that people like to listen to. I think it's time for some good news.
0: Yes. All right. Good news. So in keeping with our desire to keep our good news related to our topic of the week, this one is about the AstraZeneca vaccine. The U.S. has committed to releasing its entire stock of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine to other countries as soon as it clears its final safety check. That's 10 million already secured doses and another 50 million to be produced and distributed after that. The Biden administration has indicated that we have enough vaccine resources in the US with the three vaccines that are already approved. So the Moderna, the Pfizer, and the Johnson and Johnson. In fact, nearly half of US adults have received at least one dose of the vaccine so far. That's good news on its own. But even better, is that we have so much vaccine now that we can help other countries get it, and that's one of the things that we are very worried about, as uh, the, the the decision makers up high, upon mm-hmm. high, and and globally, um, like the UN, the, these conferences, we're worried about uh, a an unequal distribution of the cure of the vaccine, basically, um, because like we have talked about with like systemic racism and stuff, sometimes things aren't intentionally limiting or excluding certain groups of people, but because of the way the world works, they just do. Mm -hmm. And right now the rich and wealthy countries were able to secure these massive supplies of vaccines and a lot of poorer countries were left behind because they couldn't. So, Handling COVID-19 has been a highly nationalized thing so far, like country to country. Every country has done something different. And at, that's at the start, like Sweden did this and they're fine and they weren't fine. They were not no, fine. Spoiler alert, they were not fine. Um, New Zealand had its own reaction. Uh, Brazil had their own reaction. Uh, India, they did their own thing. And we can see how these differences have worked out in the world. New Zealand has fully opened back up again because they don't have the COVID that they don't have COVID there because they took a pretty like stringent lockdown and they still do very stringent lockdown procedures for anybody coming into the country. But the trade-off for that is they had like a huge sporting event with like 75,000 people in the stands and they have concerts and stuff that they can go to. So being able to globalize the response to this is is going to be important and i'll tell you why and it's something that we didn't cover here but it's because the longer it takes us to get the vaccine or the the virus under control the the more opportunity the virus has to infect people and be replicated the greater the probability of the virus evolving and changing to not respond to the vaccine is. So the longer we allow it to happen in these countries like India, which is suffering a traumatizing rate of loss and infection right now, the greater risk that puts you, dear listener, in whatever part of the world that you are in. So we have to have a global response to this. Otherwise, none of us will ever actually be safe from it because it will continue to evolve and change and will continue to have to respond to it reactively instead of taking it on proactively. I didn't realize I had a soapbox left in me, (laughs) but apparently I did. (laughs) Robin, any final thoughts before we go?
1: That was a good
0: soapbox. I, I mean, yeah. It eats me alive to cutting off my soapbox now I was getting ready to stand right back up on it <sighs> do you want to take us out this time I always take us out but there's no reason for that do you want to do the sign off Oh
1: shoot yeah I just got to remember it it's just, just,
0: all I say is take care of each other oh that's what it is I get it I get that one yeah. confused
1: with, with Matt's critical role sign off
0: oh well I mean I'm basically saying the same thing that's yes. actually what inspired it I'm not gonna lie well okay that it. makes sense
1: yeah. No, with with that soapbox concluded, thank you everybody so much for listening to this show. We hope that you have found it informative and we will be right back with you next week. Until then, take care of each other.